And now, it's my honor and privilege to introduce our speaker today. Um, this lady is my sponsee sister and somebody that I can be totally my authentic self with. And if you guys know what that means, it's really free. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Kathy O. Good morning, everyone. I'm an addict. My name's Kathy. Hi. This is the biggest crowd I've done, and I'm really nervous. I know. And that's what keeps me here, because I hear that. I love, we love you, and I believe it today. Um, I feel uh, the topic today is uh, Bend with the Wind, Step 2. Came to believe a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. So in order to get there, I think I always like to let you know a little bit of where I came from. Um, I was born middle child of seven, and I was born very ill. Um, I spent the first five years of my life in Toronto Sick Children's Hospital. So when I came home, I had these six siblings that didn't know who I was, but somehow I fit into this family. Um, Part of my illness required me to not be anywhere near cut grass, paint, dust, uh, dog and cat dander, and I was actually allergic to my own hair, so I had no hair. So I was, I was really weird, and every time something happened in this big house with a family of nine, Kathy was sent to grandma's. So I was never part of the family. That's where that started. Go to school, everything, you know, finally get allowed to go to school, which was weird in itself, and find out I'm allergic to the varnish on the desk. So my desk gets all sanded down, gets put in the corner of the room, and nobody's allowed to come to my desk for fear they'll transfer the varnish because the skin would literally fall off my arms. Again, I'm not part of. I can't do gym. Um, I'll age myself a little bit. I went to school back in the days where in September you went and they saw the school dentist and you saw the school nurse. I didn't have to do that. On those days I had to sit in the office. Um, I wasn't for the first two years allowed out for recess. I had to stay in, no running around for Kathy. So again, I'm not part of. I'm very isolated. Somehow I managed to get through life that way. I also have six sisters that are blonde fair, and they all have blue eyes. This is not my natural color hair. My natural color hair is black, jet black. Go figure. I don't fit in. That's how I grew up. I also grew up, my sisters are very um, girly girl, for lack of a better term. They were all about makeup and dress and hair, and I'm like, give me my shorts and my runners, I'm going down to play baseball. Girls don't play baseball. I want to bet. Okay, <laughs> I'm going swimming. Bye. Uh, if anyone's from Toronto, the Donald Somerville pool, the 10-meter board, that's my favorite. I dive off of it. Girls aren't supposed to do that back then. But I do anyway. So, because I didn't fit in, why try? I'm going to be myself. And I did okay that way, or so I thought. Um, never had a friend. That's not true. I had one friend. Most of my friends just wanted to know me to get in with my sisters because they were the in crowd. So I was used in that way. 
So I was used to that. And the only way I could have a friend, and I'll tell you right now, I can't stand hard rock. But if you like Led Zeppelin and I wanted to be your friend, Led Zeppelin was my favorite band. <laughs> Guaranteed. I could listen to them all day. Never liked them then and I still don't like them. <laughs> but that's how I got by. That's what I thought I had to do. I knew no other way. Fast forward, I finally get married and I married the first man that asked me, did I love him? I believe today I can say I did. And I also believe today I can say I still do, although we're not together. It took me a long time to be able to say that, but I can. He was a great man. Uh, I had three beautiful boys. I was fortunate enough to be a stay-at-home mom. Again, taken care of. I didn't have to do anything. But whatever he wanted, I did so that he would continue to love me. That's how I believed. Uh, when my marriage broke up after a lot of uh, emotional and verbal abuse, and it took me a long time to realize that's what I was going through, I, I met a man, and of course now I'm, I'm alone, and the only way I'm supposed to be fulfilled is to have a man. And he was in the program, although he was a constant white key tagger, and I had no idea of this. I didn't know the drug world at all. I had been very secluded. And I figured the only way he's going to love me is if I try that. Actually, that's not true. My first statement with him t was, after many relapses, buy enough for the weekend and I'll show you how easy it is to quit. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, you can all figure that part out because I'm standing here today. I don't need to go there. Uh, there are people in this room today that were there the first day I walked in and admitted that I had jumped the fence because they had met me while I was his supporter and I was going to that support group and they knew I had jumped the fence before I told them I had jumped the fence. And with keeping with bend, bend with the wind, I, uh, I was the opposite. I fought the wind all the way. There wasn't anything you could tell me I didn't know because I was that, you know, I knew better. I had managed all through my life without drugs, except for, I think it was, it's going to sound funny, but it was only a two and a half year stint. But it was two and a half constant 24-7. I didn't stop. I, I just kept going. Um, and they knew. They know me. I didn't bend. Not at all. I fought you tooth and nail. I took your hug, and everything you said was bullshit. I knew better. I was going to do it, and no one, you know. So after a few white key tags, I realized that something was wrong. I didn't get it. I had tried the geographical change. I had changed sponsors a bunch of times. Um, I did manage to stay away from the guys, only because the guy that introduced me to the stuff was still there and I still thought I could win him back because I could stay clean and show him how to stay clean, right? That was how I was going to do it. That didn't work either. Not a lot of my ideas worked. I don't get it. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Bend with the wind. Maybe listen to what someone else says and lean that way instead of you're wrong, I'm right, I'll lean this way. I'll go the other way. It took me a long time to figure that out. Um, I did go into a rehab and I did spend some time there and promptly left and relapsed. I've heard that a number of times. I think that's a familiar story. You know, I did fine while I was locked up and couldn't go anywhere, but the minute I was out and, you know, of course you're in there, you can't spend any money, so now you got all this money in the bags. <laughs> ah. um, 
when my addiction was discovered, the Ministry of Transportation took away my license. I have a very unique job where I have to be able to drive, and um, my job is governed by the Ministry of Transportation. <laughs> so it was like, oh, I guess I'm not working for a little while. So I went and for three years, the ministry said, you have to do this, 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 and this before we'll give you back your license. And I kept trying to take shortcuts. And they kept saying no. I got a sponsor who finally said, can you maybe do it the honest way? Instead of the shortcut, take the full year they're asking and do everything they ask. Might work. I'll give it a try. Can't hurt. Within nine months, I had my license back. And I had my job back, which was great. Um, I'm really fast forwarding. Through all that, I, uh, I'm jumping all over here. Sorry. In, er in early recovery, my attitude was still, I needed a man. I needed a partner. Some, somewhere in my brain, it was, if you don't have a partner, you're not fulfilled. You're not a complete person without a partner. And that's... Today I understand that is that's what we call I call a tribal belief. It's it's what I was taught in my generation and that's how we lived. You are not complete without a partner and children and house and a mortgage and you're not complete. I really fought hard with that. Um, with a very large family who, believe it or not, not only do none of them smoke cigarettes even, they're the kind that can take that much wine, have one toast and leave it there. Yeah, sorry, not happening. Um, so they all believe the same, and they all have those lifetime marriages. Uh, my eldest sister is about to celebrate her 40th wedding anniversary. And I'm like, I mean, I got divorced, and then I got into drugs, and then, and then I lost my job. Like, I was, again, the black sheep, and they couldn't understand it. And there was, ta there was a time I'll never forget I'm laying on the couch, my son's nearby, one of my grown sons, they're all adults, and I'm doubled up in pain wanting to use. You all know what that is. My sister happened in and she said, just don't think about it. <laughs> okay, and if that was the case, we wouldn't all need to be sitting here. Thank you very much, but that won't work. They've, um, they've cut me off, they've ostracized me. I'm, I'm not welcome in most of their homes, even after my time in recovery. And it hasn't been too short of a time. I mean, I could understand the first five years, maybe, but now it's, um, it still hurts. And that was one of my biggest things, getting over the hurt. And every time someone hurt me, instead of bending with the wind and instead of turning to a higher power, I would fight it. I would fight back. And I'd play into them. You're gonna hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you back. You watch how fast I can do that. What helped me was finding a higher power. And that, that took a lot of special time. In my house, we were brought up uh, Christian. And the, keep in mind, this is my story and my opinion. For me, God was a punishing man. And if I did anything wrong, I was going to be punished. And I didn't want to be punished anymore. So you know what? You take your God and you put him where the sun don't shine because I don't want any part of it. And I struggled with that when I heard that second step came to believe that a higher power could restore me to sanity. Yeah, by beating the crap out of me or punishing me, and I didn't want any part of it.
And I was very fortunate that these rooms have such a vast expanse of spiritual beliefs and individual higher powers that I was able to connect with someone who believed, who had something I could believe in. And I, would, I hear a lot of people say I borrowed it. I didn't borrow it, I took it. <laughs> I took it and I claimed it and we can share it. I have a higher power, I pray to that higher power. And once I started, and it wasn't easy, it was very small steps. The first one was, um, there was a, a, a meeting of a group of like-minded people and we were going to get together for a weekend to do some healing. And I thought, well, I can't afford it. I don't have a car. Early in recovery, I can't go. And he said to me, just have faith. Just believe that if you're meant to be there, you'll be there. And a ride suddenly appeared. The person, ho person hosting the event agreed to let me come for free. I was not scheduled for work that weekend because I did by then have a part-time job. And the schedule cleared and I was not scheduled. Everything just fell into place when I believed I would be where I needed to be. And I went there for the weekend and felt very much not a part of, didn't know why I was there, didn't think I'd fit in, and tried to secrete myself from everyone else. I just pushed away, put up this nice wall. And these loving women in recovery tore that wall down, brick by brick by brick. And it took them an entire weekend. And then I put it back up the minute I left, but they did get it down for a little while. And that was my first spiritual awakening, that it can happen, that I can let it happen. And I left, and I didn't use, and I didn't die, and I was able to keep going. So when it happened again a few months later, again, it's like, okay, I just need to believe that it can happen. I just need to believe and ask this higher power that I've become familiar with to, show, to find a way for me to get there doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean the money is going to drop in my lap or any of that. I actually had to do some work for it. I had to uh, suggest to my employer at the time that I, you know, I'd like this weekend off. I had to call around and see if I could get a ride from the women I knew were going. And then I had to save pennies, because that's all I had, to give what I could to attend. Because I didn't want to go on another freebie. And I managed to do it. I just managed. I don't know how. Today I don't question it. For me, my spiritual awakenings are in hindsight. I suddenly, I don't see them coming, but when I stop and think about it, it's like, that was a, a higher power moment back there. <laughs> that, that was not me. I'll give you an example of that. I drove up from Toronto on Monday. Had my car in the shop the Thursday before that. Got some work done on it. Explained I was driving to Ottawa, and my mechanic says, it's all good. You'll get there and back, no problem. 50 kilometers south of Ottawa, I hear this on my car. Don't know what it is. Call my mechanic. He says, well, when we looked, your wheel bearings were starting to go. That's probably all it is. You'll be fine. He says, no, you know, wheel bearings take six months to a year to go, and people drive on them already wearing out for a year. Come on, admit it. We all do it. We don't drive our car perfectly. And I, and I knew this because I drive for a living. But the wheel bearings are good kept getting worse all weekend. So finally, 
what day was it? Thursday, picking up a friend at the airport to bring her in here, and it's really bad. So I called my friend that I've been staying with since last week, and I Helen, call your mechanic. I want him to look at my car. We pull into the mechanic. He gets out and looks at it and says, you have one lug nut on your front tire. That's a higher power moment because normally I would trust my mechanic and drive it back to Toronto. <laughs> don't think I would have made it. That's a higher power moment. I don't notice those till after the fact. So I, go, I start going to these women's groups and I really don't notice a change in me. Everybody else does. And I'm starting to listen more. Restore me to sanity. Okay, you know, I, I need to stop being ugly about my childhood. I need to stop being angry about the way I was treated. But I don't know how. So I talk to my sponsor. I talk to my sponsee's sisters. And I pray. And it took me months to figure it out. I need to accept that they are the way they are, and it's not me. And that was a hard one. Bend with the wind, can I forgive them? Nope, not yet. I love that word, yet. Not yet. I don't, and I don't have to forgive them right now. I have to accept that that's the way they are, and that's the way they will be but I don't have to forgive them. They hurt me deeply. Uh, I can be sociable when around them at a family function. That doesn't mean I have to seek them out. I can stop and say, yeah, I'm fine. Works good. Hope you're well. How's your kids? Look at my grandson. Isn't he beautiful? I finally have one. <clears throat> but that's about all. Um, so after I finally figure out that I don't have to forgive them and that I can pray, of course, then I start praying for my, my mind slips back to what society dictated to me back then. I need a partner. I have to have a partner because I'm not complete without one. And I start looking at the guys in the rooms. Sorry, no offense, guys, but I didn't like any of you. <laughs> You're all six months. I'm going to find someone out there that isn't in here because I don't want to have to deal with your recovery. I have enough trouble dealing with my own. So I go out and I date a couple guys, and what do I find out? They're all going to fix me. I'm like, you're kidding. Wait a minute. What goes around, and I heard that last night. Thank you very much, lovely lady. What goes around comes around. Because don't you know, that's how I started. I was going to fix him. They're all going to fix me. I, I'm kidding. I dated, dated one guy. He lived in Trenton, and he had a rehab set out for me. I'm three years clean. He's got a rehab picked out for me. He's got a social worker. And I'm like, yeah, okay, see you, bye. <laughs> Don't need that. And then it dawned on me, and I don't need a man. I don't need a partner. And I heard that last night, and that resonated with me. Maybe my higher power's plan for me is to stay single. I don't think I've been single. Let me see. I got married when I was 19, got divorced when I was, never mind. And, and I'm 57 today, and I think I've been single for five years, something like that. I'm, I'm looking to my old sponsor because she was the one that told me that I needed to do this for a year, and it just kind of carried on. Um, you know, I've, I've dated off and on, but I'm not 
looking for a partner and today I can say I'm okay with that I'm okay I like it um, good things happen to those that do good things that doesn't mean I'm an angel trust me you don't you don't want to have to go to work with me because you really won't like me I, I'm senior management and I get really bossy and pushy and pretty freaking ugly I play on highways so when my guys go out there it's dangerous and if you start screwing around I'm gonna lose it on you because not only might you die but the car coming down the highway might kill somebody too so I don't I don't take things lightly out there so I'm still that nasty hardcore person when I'm at work I try not to be that way with my friends um, I'm looking at people who hang with me in those circles and yeah sometimes I still am uh, especially if I'm treasurer of a convention and you ask, for, ask me for money that you don't need, you ain't getting it. <laughs> uh, I'm really, really a stickler. OCD, near OCD on that kind of stuff. But I'm learning. And I'm learning because I keep coming. And I'm learning because I keep doing. And I keep doing that type of service because it teaches me that I have to bend. It's not all black and white. Although our basic text is all black and white, I can still find the gray. And I'm sure everybody else can. So I try to define where the gray is the right way. And I try to concede. I don't like to do that. <laughs> I'm right, you're wrong, I'm the boss. But I have to learn that I'm not. I'm not in charge. Um, so I, I, I do that kind of service. And you know, some of you have seen me at convention committees. Those committees are the hardest committees to sit on. You, it, oh... We get into some real good ones. Please come and join us at a convention. In the end, it's the best feeling ever. But there are times when we sit there and we just want to throttle each other. It gets intense. But I challenge myself to do that. Because that's me learning how to bend. And learning that my higher power will restore me to sanity. Because there's many times I have to say, I'm going out for a cigarette and I need a prayer. Because <laughs> I'm going to kill somebody. That's what this program taught me, to stop. It's okay for me to be human. It's okay for me to lose my temper. And it's okay for me to be rigid. It's not okay for me to say, I'm staying this way. I can stop, say a prayer, and come back relaxed and calm and try to find a logical reason why it should go the way I suggested. And if, yeah, it doesn't all, okay. Thanks, Sarah my sponsee sister who also works conventions with me and she knows that that doesn't work because a lot of times I'll come back and I lose anyway but I can accept that today that's growth I can accept yeah okay I was wrong and I can admit it um, I've had a lot of challenges in recovery and a lot of times I do have to bend I'm going through something at work now that is recovery related and I have to, it's not recovery related, but thank God for my recovery that I can relate it to my job. There we go. I'm about to step up to a position where instead of overseeing 10 or 12 guys, it's going to be 100. And I say, use the word guys because this is cute. I'm the only female in this industry. That's pretty awesome. And I'm very proud of that. I say it a lot. I'm very proud of it. I'm the only female in my industry supervisor anyway 
and I'm about to step it up and become a lead trainer in the field. So the funny thing is, I get this topic when I get here, and on Monday before I left Toronto, I had a conversation with the owner of my company, and we've just bought out another company, and he says, we're having a little difficulty, and your name's come up a few times about being a little nasty and, and pushy with the new guys. And he says, so I need you to work on this. And, and um, we're, he's talking away, and he's trying to come up with a word. He needs me to be more uh, sensitive, more agreeable. And I said, you mean you want me to be more likable? He said, that's the word. <laughs> I'm like, so again... Thank you to the 12 steps. I can stop. I actually was able to stop while he was talking and I heard that. And it, I need to apply the 12 steps. I need to be understanding that they are where they are and they were taught their way. And that doesn't mean it's our company way. And I need to ingrain myself in there to be able to teach them. If I can, they have to like me if they're going to listen to me to teach them. There's where that sanity comes in. Because it's insane for me to think that I know best and everybody's going to do what I say. Especially in my field. You know, I have these 28-year-old men, young men, looking at me saying, yeah, lady, you go do what I do. Then I get out on the highway and show them that I can, but that, those days are dying. I can't do that much anymore. But that's, that's a challenge for me, and, and that's the 12 steps of living it in my life. I live it out there at work every day. Or try to. Yeah, let's, let's be honest. I try to. I don't, I don't always succeed. There, there's many times where I'm like, you don't want to truck or move. Um, and that's what I do. You know, and again, patience and learning to just, just be me and just accept where I'm at and knowing that things will work out fine. I, I have to share what's happened in the past week and it's, well, no, two weeks. I will turn 58 in December, and for the first time in my life, Saturday, just gone, I moved into an apartment all by myself. There was no one else in the apartment building. Well, apartment, it's a whole building. It's not a basement. It's not shared. It's all mine. And I don't have any kids and I don't have any partner, it's just me. I don't see a lot of people cheering at that. You wait, because it's really freeing. It's really freaking freeing. It was so cool, Sunday night at 11.30 at night, because I've always been in a basement or a shared apartment. At 11.30 at night, I'm in my kitchen banging pots around doing a baked lasagna. Yeah. And you don't want to know, well, I did have clothes on because it's hot. <laughs> but I didn't, like, I didn't have to worry about waking anybody up or disturb. Wow. Patience and waiting and having faith that when the time is right, my higher power will give it to me. And now that I think of it, you know, it, the time is right. Because there was just two years ago, if I had been on my own, I would have been in trouble. Um actually go back farther than that five years ago my uh, middle son made a phone call to me and um, at the time he was 26 and he called me and he said uh, driving on the 407 I have a lead foot so I'm doing like a buck 45 and I answered my phone of course I talk on the phone when I drive I, I break the law 
and he says um, he's in tears. He's just got a response, uh, results from the test, and they believe he has cancer. I broke down in tears. You never saw anybody take a shoulder of the road so fast in your life. I didn't cry when I talked to him. I got him, I talked to him, calmed him down, said, let's wait and see what the oncologist says and take care of all that. And I hung up and I broke down in tears. And my phone has 92 phone numbers in it. 87 of those are recovery people. And I just went through the list until I got an answer. I was ready to use that day. It hurt. It hurt very bad. And I didn't think to pray. And I didn't think about anything else except crying, shaking, I'm going to use, dial somebody's phone number. Thank God the first thing I listened to was some recovering addict say, dump that phone, don't keep the SIM card, and only put recovering numbers in it. Your new one. I had no numbers. And after five years five or six years, I had no numbers up here either. The only numbers I had were recovered. It was a false positive, thank God, because I couldn't imagine that. And that was, that was you know, the power of these rooms that got me through it and why I didn't have my own place, why my higher power knew I wasn't ready to have my own place. Because I didn't have a place to go home to and isolate and cry. I had to go home to a place shared with someone who knew I was in recovery. My recovery friends my, had already called. One of them was close enough. They had already called my roommate and told them what had happened and I was coming home. They were there with me. They were there with me. They were also in recovery. They didn't coddle me. They didn't tell me. But they were there. And sometimes that's all I need. Just someone there who knows, and because my attitude is, I can't go use now, I'll disappoint them. So sometimes that little bit of, the only way I'm going to make you like me is if I stay clean, really helps. Really helps, especially in this mind. Because this mind hasn't changed that much. All it knows how to do is stay clean by phoning someone who cares and getting my ass to a meeting. That's all it knows, and that's what I do. Two years ago, that same son, uh, my boss called me into the office when I got to work. And that same son, today I'll call him an idiot. I love him to death. He's my favorite son. I'll never say that with all three boys in the room, but he is my favorite. Um, was arrested for trafficking. You would think he would have learned from watching the shit his mother went through to stay away from that stuff. Fortunately, he's not using, but he was trafficking. And again, I, that was the first time I got upset and didn't think of using. I got upset and thought I'd kill it. <laughs> but my higher power took over because that's what I let happen. And I phoned someone where my son lives in recovery and said, I need a lawyer. <laughs> You know, recovery people have great resources. Yeah. <laughs> I got the best lawyer in Hamilton for him. <laughs> Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Did he get off? Yeah, he got his slap on the wrist. You know what? Today I can say it's his problem. I did the motherly thing. I didn't do 
the I'm going to fix it thing. I did the mother thing. Here's your lawyer, son. You pay the bill. You owe me this much because I had to pay the retainer. And damn it, I made it pay it. Good luck. Show up in court. I'm his assurity. I tell the truth. Do I think, you know, and then I upset him because I turned to the judge. You know, if you want, I'll go move in with him. <laughs> no. No, they didn't let me do that. But that would have been, that would have been really cool punishment for him. <laughs> See, my evil side still comes out. My evil side still comes out. But because of this room, it doesn't come to fruition. A lot of times I'll think it, and I'm allowed to. I don't have to act on it. And that's the beauty of recovery. I don't have to be the angel. I don't have to be perfect. God, I hope I'm never perfect. Because once I'm perfect, I'll stop learning. And at my age, I have a whole ton left to learn. And I only learn it in these rooms. These days, my work is demanding and keeps me away from meetings. I'm lucky if I get to one a week. Sorry, I'll be honest. I'm lucky if I get to one a month. And it's usually a service meeting I get to once a month. I'm working on it. I'm honest about it. I struggle without it. What I do have is a list of phone numbers that I can phone and do a phone meeting. It works. And I pray. And I follow my beliefs. My beliefs of being good to each other so that someone will be good to me. That's all I can do. So if I bark at you, it's usually because I'm tired or I've had enough. But I will apologize later. I promise. And if I don't, you can call me on it. That's what I try to do. People have told me I'm there. I wish I could see it. In all honesty, the low self-esteem is still there and I don't see it. I'm seeing little bits of it, thanks to those that remind me it's there. Hope you got something from what I shared. Hope you could relate to a little bit. And if not, keep going to meetings because you will hear something that will save your life. It did for me. Thank you very much. On behalf of ORCNA 28, I would like to thank Kathy O for sharing her experience, strength, and hope with us. And it was awesome. <laughs> uh, please join us in a circle to close the meeting with the Wii version of the 